<laughs> hey, Mike. Hey, Anna. Have you received your package yet from DoorWest? I did this week and just in time because it's fireworks season coming up, isn't it? It is. And what you've got with this valerian compound and the skullcap and valerian tablets is a natural way to prepare your dog for the oncoming onslaught. So, yeah. So how does it how does it really work then? Well, it works by naturally relaxing dogs and it doesn't cause any drowsiness. So it just makes a dog feel less anxious in a whole variety of situations. But of course, at the moment, with fireworks coming up. But it's important to understand that when a dog is calm and relaxed, it's a perfect opportunity to train your dog, perhaps even desensitizing your dog with some sound therapy in advance as well. And you're very keen on Darwis, aren't you? You've used them for ages, haven't you? Yes. Oh, gosh. Um, Molly was a fan of several Dorwest products like their Keeper's Mix, which is this great all round, like a multivitamin herbal formula. But I love Dorwest as well because of their heritage. They're about to celebrate their 75th anniversary. And Joe Bowton White, the current managing director, is third generation of what is a stalwart family business that's been helping support pets wellness for all this time. And so if our listeners want to get some, where do they go? Head over to the doorwest.com website and maximize the 10% off for Dogs Life listeners by tapping in the promo code DOGSLIFE, all one word. And if you spend over £50, there's free delivery or simply call them on 01308 897 272. Binks, you know there's been an awful lot about dogs in the papers lately and indeed about how stress can be transferred from us humans to you doggies. So we're going to jump on Zoom now to talk to Dr Sam Gaines from the RSPCA about the latest and about what's going on in government. I'm Anna Webb, welcome to A Dog's Life. Dr. Sam Gaines. Gosh, welcome back to A Dog's Life. Hi, Anna. It's always such a pleasure to come and speak to you. So thank you very much for the invitation. Gosh, yes. Well, we haven't chatted for several months, um, I don't think. But actually, so much has been happening in the last few weeks around dogs, hasn't it, Sam? Absolutely. Yes, we've had lots and lots of various different coverage in the press about dogs, some good and some bad, unfortunately. But yeah, lots to discuss. Definitely. Well, it's also in the backdrop of what I always think is possibly the most stressful uh, few months of the year for dogs and their, their pet parents, which is, of course, fireworks, which then leads into Christmas, where lots of accidents around the home can happen, not only meaning some dogs might spend Christmas Day at an emergency vet, but, you know, more than that, Sam, isn't it? Every year, fireworks cause havoc with dogs and, and indeed wildlife and farm animals yeah absolutely i think you know we, we can never underestimate the impact that fireworks season actually has on our pets and obviously the wildlife that surround us and like you say livestock and horses and um, rspca each year does a survey um just to ask basically pet owners what the response by their pets is to fireworks and you know typically we will see 
around 60% of dog owners that are reporting that their pets show signs of distress and around 54% of cat owners. And I think, you know, this this really shouldn't be that much of a surprise because, you know, they are incredibly difficult, I think, for, for pets to be able to be expected to respond to, given, you know, the flashes and the very um, broad spectrum of sound that they emit and obviously some of the sounds are beyond that that we can hear but yeah it comes at a huge cost you know obviously something that for us many people will find entertaining comes at a huge cost for our pets and like you say we do end up hearing some really awful stories of where animals have been spooked by fireworks and run off or have ended up causing injury to themselves because of that as well so yeah hugely hugely concerning time of the year like you say because we're approaching fireworks night but it will obviously now it you know it extends beyond typically what would have been thought a couple of days now to much much longer and then we'll go into new year and christmas as well yeah and it's it's all about planning really isn't it i mean i think people sort of suddenly get to september and they think oh crumbs it's going to be fireworks soon and and actually people can do a lot in advance to help their dogs to desensitize them with sound therapy cd's that are readily available and um and just understanding why their dog for example hates them so much as you said you know it's the the sounds that they can hear the high and the low frequencies which we can't even hear that that are really quite scary but it's also understanding how dogs communicate their stress to us and vice versa because it was only in the papers last week I think Sam that the the latest study has been released highlighting that dogs definitely can smell our stress so can our stress around fireworks make it more stressful for dogs yeah and i think this is something that we were actually highlighting throughout the pandemic as well um because obviously that was a incredibly stressful time for everybody and understandably a lot of people went out and got dogs during that time as a way to provide some companionship and to get that exercise that lots of people wanted but because we know that dogs do actually respond to our stress and, and very much we think of them as being emotional sponges, then absolutely, you know, we, we do have to be aware that when we're going through stressful periods, this is very likely going to have an impact on our dogs as well. So there is almost that, you know, it's like a two-pronged attack, I guess, for them during fireworks season where they are subjected and exposed to sounds and flashes that are very frightening and potentially also their owners who like you say are anticipating the fact that it's going to be a stressful period and might also be impacting upon their dogs as well so it's very important I think at the same time as we were saying during the pandemic that people really familiarize themselves and learn to understand what the different signals are that dogs use to show us if they're feeling anxious or they're feeling stressed and I think that's one of the best things we can do as dog owners is understand the general signs that dogs will give, but also really get to understand what their dog is showing and communicating to them so that they can act appropriately. Absolutely. So just for listeners, just highlight a couple of the main ones. I mean, one, of course, is yawning, which often people confuse with a dog being tired. Absolutely. And I think this is the thing, you know, so dogs are incredibly good at communicating how they feel and they can use a whole range of different body signals, uh, you know, to, to actually communicate that. But some are really subtle signs and we can overlook those quite easily. But as you said, you know, yawning is one that we might overlook and misinterpret in the same way as lip licking or avoiding our eye contact 
um, lowered body postures, the, the more typical signs we might recognize, so ears back, tail very, very low and tucked under. These are all signs that our dogs are struggling to cope. And I think in situations where we are potentially putting them in a place where they're going to feel stressed, such as firework season, it's about looking out for those signs, but also making sure that we have somewhere that our pets can retreat to so that they can feel safe. And one of the big things that we can do for fireworks season and we can start doing now is preparing our dogs by building them a safe space so they have somewhere that they can go when they're feeling worried, when they're feeling anxious or when we recognise that they're feeling worried so that they can actually go somewhere and they know that when they're there, no one is going to bother them, but they've already learned that that is somewhere that is their place of safety and where they can relax. And so, you know, there's some really simple ways of doing this. Some people go out and buy you know a dog crate or a dog cage and make it really soft and cozy for them and put it in a nice quiet darkened place but you know we can often do it in some people will have dogs that will go under their bed or will go into their wardrobe and there's nothing actually particularly wrong with that if that's where the dog feels safe it's just allowing them that choice and control so that they can take themselves somewhere where they know that they're not going to be bothered and they can at least feel a bit better about themselves absolutely and that's so important around christmas as well you know when you might suddenly have your your house full of visitors and and so on and there's chaos loads of smells going on and crackers being cracked open and so on and it can get too much you know and that's when accidents in the home often happen when the dog just is overtired overstimulated doesn't want to say hello to Auntie Flo and ever again and just wants to go somewhere just to think, oh, I can just be out of the way, have a snooze, have my nice Kong, oh, let them all get over themselves, oh, do a bit of that, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we often overlook is the importance of choice and control when it comes to dogs feeling happy. And I think that, you know, it's absolutely key. The the more choice we can give to them about decisions that they can make and things that they can do and the more control, then the happier they are going to feel. So thinking about it in that context that you just described there for Christmas, absolutely giving them somewhere that they can go so they don't feel that they are being forced to stay in a room that they don't want to, allowing them to go somewhere else to have that time out is one of the best things that we can do for our dogs. And we can build this into lots of different ways in which you know into into their daily routine so I think absolutely that is it is so so important and trying to remember things from our dog's perspective that you know for us Christmas can be one of the most exciting times of the year allowing us to get together with close family and friends having music on eating lots drinking lots but for dogs they can be really really stressful periods of time and they do need to have those opportunities to take themselves away and get that much needed rest and sleep that they want or to just be able to go and spend some time like you say interacting with a kong or chewing on something safe so absolutely making sure that people are thinking about that now you know is really really helpful and allows them to plan as well as we start to get towards fireworks and towards Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we are living in very stressful times at the moment. I mean, <laughs> there's so much going on. You, you almost can't make up the news um, at the moment, <laughs> isn't it, Sam? It's really, you know, so we are emitting stress. And I think everyone needs to know about this. I mean, something, you know, I'll do is uh, offer some herbal remedies that can help calm a dog as well so that they're in a calmer kind of space so that training can carry on as normal, hopefully 
hopefully you're preempting stress internalizing in your dog and and just making sort of steps thinking thinking out of the box I think with your dog at the moment because there was a study you know um in Italy Sam that actually has proved which is really bad that dogs internalize our stress so much it can emit tumors in dogs. We know stress is bad for our health, but if we are so connected to our dogs, which of course we are, then there is evidence to say that they compared the bloods of stressful owners with their dogs and they found that the dogs definitely had the same levels of cortisol in their system as their owners. I know, how scary is that? I mean, I think this is the thing, you know, there is a lot of evidence out there that shows the detrimental effect of chronic stress on people and on dogs and other animals. Um, And so understandably, that can in itself then become a cause for concern. You know, it's almost a bit like, well, I can't get stressed because that'll make my dog stressed but now I'm stressed about that so it's like how do we stop it from also becoming like self-perpetuating but I think it's also turning it on its head and looking at it in a way in that recognizing that in the same way that dogs can you know sort of mirror our emotions and that stress they can also obviously then mirror other more positive emotional states as well so trying to I guess just so that people don't become too worried it's very much about you know making sure that we understand and we recognize that when we're stressed our dogs can become stressed but if we can recognize that in our dogs through their body language there's lots and lots of things that we can do to actually stop that from actually sort of building up over time and I think you know to sort of bring it back to the fireworks that we started talking about, you know, if, if people know that their dogs find fireworks incredibly stressful, then it is now time to start talking to their vet so that they can come up with a longer term plan. Now, some plans may end up requiring such a period of time that actually it becomes very difficult for it to have any immediate impact on this season's fireworks. But it should definitely start to help with fireworks around New Year and into next year. So I think that's one of the things that we can do as owners is to make sure that we are, you know, preparing our pets to actually help them during the fireworks season. And actually, that's a very positive thing that we can actually do to mitigate that stress that you know may well end up um, arising during that period of time. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And um, for me, it all boils down to training, building a bond, communication, understanding your dog, having fun with your dog, having trust there and respect so that in situations, whatever they might be, that are difficult, you know, the dog knows to be relaxed because you've got it sorted and no harm is going to come to them at all. <laughs> yeah, and I think in the past, you know, we were, we were often told by by people who, you know, based on the evidence that we had at the time that, you know, during periods of, of stress, so like during fireworks season, we shouldn't interact with our with our dogs because we, we wouldn't want to be reinforcing that fear. But we now have a much, much better understanding and that actually one of the best things that we can do is provide some reassurance to our pets during that period when we know that they are stressed. So, you know, absolutely making sure that, you know, if, if you have a dog that is really, really struggling, be nice and calm around them. But, you know, you can comfort them. They can sit on your knee. They can sit next to you. But equally, you know, there are other things that we can do is obviously making sure that we've got our curtains closed and our windows closed, that there's music being played. They've got that safe space. 
they're not being walked during periods where it's very likely that fireworks are going to be let off so during like the darker hours so there's there's definitely lots and lots of things that we can do and there's definitely ways that we can provide comfort to our pets but you know if we are if there is anyone that's you know really concerned about the severity of their pet's response then absolutely speaking to a vet and getting a plan in place is one of the best things that people can be doing at this moment in time absolutely so for next year because there's always you know it's a journey with you know there'll always be fireworks happening so (laughs) it's about improving the situation isn't it sam yes absolutely hey anna hey mike i got a surprise for you what's that well i have set up a patreon page for a dog's life what's that then well patreon is like a crowdfunding thing so people who love the show can support us and it's called a dog's life club a club i like the idea of being a club like a private members club well yes it's not quite that fancy but it's you know step one to getting there so there's two tiers for only four pounds a month you can be an official patron on tier one Uh, and if you love a dog's life and i'm guessing you do or you wouldn't be listening to this now and you want to help to support us that's what you can do for just one pound a week that's one pound per episode that's that's less than coffee less than a newspaper or you can join tier two, which is top dog. Top dog. <laughs> and with that, for £10 a month, you will get access to all sorts of bonus content. You know that talk you did at the Natural Health Show during the summer? And people have been asking to hear that. Well, if you join Patreon, you will be able to hear that full talk. We'll do some hot takes on some breaking news, all the kind of stuff you do at Jeremy Vine. But the best bit is your training course. I know, yes. So, you know, my top tips on various things, isn't it, Mike? Like walking to heel or training your dog to go into uh, their bed on command or a number of all sorts of other things, including even training your dog to walk backwards. Exactly. So once a month, people will get a new lesson to help train their dogs. So, Mike, hang on, though. What if people can't afford to do the Patreon or might not feel it's relevant for them, but they still want to listen to A Dog's Life? Is it still free? You can still listen to it for free every Sunday on Apple or Spotify or even YouTube now, just like you've been doing now. You don't have to pay. You can follow us and subscribe for free and keep it as it is if that's what you like. But if you'd like to help support us and keep us going, join Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash a dog's life, or you can find the links in the show notes. The link is always in the show notes. Another thing that's taking very long to to get talked about in Parliament is this long-awaited animal sentience kept bill. So, yeah, so what we saw um, basically was the passage of the kept animals bill. So that's been basically going through Parliament for um, a period of time, but has recently um, become, I guess, has, has stopped for various different reasons within um, the parliamentary process and, and everything that we're seeing that's going on, um, which I guess is understandable and is a reflection of that bigger political picture. But obviously for organisations like the RSPCA and many others, you know, this is hugely, hugely concerning because there are some key welfare issues which that bill has basically been put in place to try and tackle. So, for example, you know, puppy imports, um, cropped dogs, you know, so, so many different issues, cat microchipping, for example. You know, we really, really need to see that bill being pushed through and being made law so that we can actually get the change that we really, really need to see to tackle some of these major issues and which so many of us have been campaigning on for a long period of time as well. So we are hopeful that once 
everything settles down, we will see that bill actually becoming law. And, you know, for example, it will no longer be legal to import dogs with cropped ears or dog tails, for example. You know, and these are absolutely the the things that we want to see in the standards that we want to have set within the UK to actually reflect, you know, what should be a nation of true animal lovers. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully, you know, help tackle, you know, this, I mean, I, I read that basically in 2021, so last year, over 66,000 puppies were smuggled into the UK from Northern Ireland that had got to Northern Ireland from the Republic of Ireland, 66,000. And, and that was the kind of legal number. So I would imagine it's like maybe double or triple that figure. And, and these are the puppies that, of course, suffer hugely and, you know, the unwitting pet parents buy them with all the best intentions and it often ends in heartbreak and it proliferates sales of dogs online, which it would be wonderful if the cat bill could kind of stop that as well. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right that, you know, we, we have seen certainly during the pandemic, we saw huge, huge numbers of puppies being commercially imported into this country from outside of the UK and that was you know driven at the time by that desire to bring a dog into the family when so many people were looking for companionship that sort of exercise to aid their mental well-being but obviously what we know is that you know a lot unfortunately a lot of countries and you know establishments that do breed dogs outside of the UK don't have the same welfare standards as what as what we set here so we end up in situations where we have puppies that are born at very high volume, low welfare conditions, and these pups are then transported huge distances to actually get them into this country at a time when, you know, they are so sensitive to the experiences that they are exposed to and which actually, you know, can be hugely detrimental to adult behaviour. So ending up with dogs that potentially going to be a lot more fearful towards unfamiliar people, towards unfamiliar environments, etc. And so, you know, it is hugely, hugely concerning that we are, you know, we, we saw such a large number of those dog, of those puppies coming in at that time. And I think we are sadly now as well starting to see the fallout of that. And I think we were, I think I'm sure, you know, we spoke at various points during the pandemic about the RSPCA's concerns and bracing ourselves for what would happen at the end of the pandemic and, and would people be forced to give up these puppies and these dogs. And I think it's probably fair to say that actually we didn't see the fallout that we had quite anticipated, but because we've now got the cost of living crisis, we are absolutely starting to see at least a rise in abandonments and relinquishments that are not necessarily because people are finding individual dogs difficult to cope in terms of their behaviour, but more are really, really struggling just to actually provide what those dogs need basically day to day so in terms of providing food and health care so yeah we, we're in a really really difficult situation at the moment and I think you know the cost of living crisis that we're seeing on the back of the pandemic is probably one of the biggest issues that we have facing pets at the moment. Yes, I think that has said it very clearly, Sam. I know another aspect to quickly bring up with you as well, Sam. In the papers this week, I've been reading several articles about dog bite incidents have gone up again year on year. So apparently they're 18% up on last year's dog bite figures, Sam. And this is having a bit of a worrying consequence. Yeah, so I think, you know, we've... 
we've spoken quite a lot about dog bite incidents over the past couple of years and, and our concerns that, you know, year on year, we typically see an increase in people that have been admitted to hospital for treatment because of a dog bite. And so it's come of no surprise that we're still seeing those increases. But I think, you know, there's probably a number of factors from the pandemic that has perhaps led to that increase in dog bites. So the fact that we had people spending a lot more time around dogs, and then also we've obviously just spoken about the fact that we had a big population of dogs coming into the UK that hadn't been brought up or at least hadn't been provided with those good experiences that they need, either when they're still inside their mother's um, uterus or when they're actually in the breeding establishment. And then compounding that, we also had the impact of the several lockdowns where actually just allowing our puppies that opportunity to go out and have the experiences that are so vital to allow them to grow up, to be happy, relaxed and confident dogs were really, you know, absent. So I think there's been a number of different factors that have potentially contributed to what would be a rise expected in dog bites anyway. But I think what is hugely, hugely concerning for the RSPCA and also for some other organisations that we work with under our umbrella of the Dog Control Coalition is this call to widen the breed ban. And unfortunately, we saw, we've seen a major campaign being launched by one of the um, newspapers last week. And we've also seen a debate on one of the TV programmes yesterday actually asking and you know suggesting that one way to tackle this current issue is to basically add other so-called dangerous types of dogs to the current breed ban and you know we strongly strongly oppose any approach that basically uses um, breed specific legislation because we've seen over the past 31 years that this does not protect public safety and there are real significant unintended consequences when you start to label certain types of dogs being more dangerous than others and prohibiting their ownership. So at this moment in time we are very very worried about what we're seeing being discussed in public and about possible actions that are being proposed to try and tackle what obviously are really tragic and fatal incidents. You know, I think I, what, what I really want to be clear is that no one wants dangerous dogs in society. The RSPCA absolutely doesn't want dangerous dogs in society, but we have to have a different approach. We can't keep on labelling certain dogs as being more dangerous than others because it just simply doesn't work. No, I agree. I agree. I have seen some worrying things, though, around here. You know, I'm in London, that isn't going to help what you've been saying. You know, I'm I'm worried that the pandemic it has taken us back in time a bit with dogs, Sam. The symptom of it all for me is the extraordinary amount of dog poo everywhere. I mean, I've trodden in some this morning. There's not a dog walk I'd go on now. Um, I mean, there was a bit, you know, which I get to the point, it was like, you remember when dog poo was a problem, Sam, and um, mm. every welfare organisation, every local council really got behind it. It got to the point before the pandemic, um, long before the pandemic, actually, where things were great. You would not never tread in a poo. I haven't tread in a, trodden in a dog poo for donkey's years 
of it happened when it was on, I was dark. I was coming back from a meeting with Mr. Binks, and I I didn't see this poo in the middle of the pavement, middle of the pavement. So I trod in it, and it was just dreadful. So I had to take my shoes off before I came into the house. I mean, the whole thing. I don't mind treading in my own dog's poo potentially, but you know, it's just not nice for for other people. And also, a poo in the middle of the pavement. If a toddler, you know, is whizzing along on one of their little scooters, for example, on the pavement, they fell off and landed headfirst in 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 one. You know, it would cause a lot of problems. And 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 then you know, dogs could be restricted from parks. We're very lucky at the moment in this country, but we might have to go to the American system where you know you can only go in a dog park with your dog. You know, and you're restricted then. It, may, it will make life more complicated. And I feel that this is the kind of symptom that's heralding alarm bells for me. It's like a symptom of something else. And I am totally with you on, um, you know, not discriminating against any type of dog um, at all. But, you know, there is, I'm seeing around here some intimidation going on with certain types of people and they have the dogs that this particular newspaper would be pointing their fingers at and I'm not saying that these particular dogs are at all a problem but when someone's riding their e-scooter with two very large dogs following not on leads right through the, the main drag of my local park where there are children running around. There are other dogs also off lead, but really steaming through. And it happened again yesterday. I was walking with my friend and it is them kind of, you know, puffing out their chest, not the dogs, but it's the owners puffing out their chest going, look how clever I am. I'm on an e-scooter and look at my dogs just following behind me. And it's that kind of intimidation factor that I've seen quite a bit of again. Um, it's not something I've seen for a long time. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, I wouldn't disagree that, you know, we do need to do something that there are a whole range of issues that are proving problematic, unfortunately, that involve dogs at the moment. And I think, you know, it goes above dog bites, it starts to steer into dog control and under that big umbrella of responsible dog ownership. And I think, you know, we, we absolutely need to be looking for a different approach. What my concern and the RSPCA's concern is that we may end up in the situation where we were 31 years ago, where a knee-jerk reaction was made and we suddenly ended up with BSL being applied in the UK. We absolutely don't want that. And that's what we're really concerned about. But that doesn't mean that we don't recognise that there's a need for something else. And, you know, we have, like other organisations, been calling for a long time, just different legislative approach, basically. We want to see effective legislation that will truly tackle some of the incidents that we're seeing. And I think what becomes really, really key is actually having a range of measures that allow us to tackle what may be seen as lower scale incidents that need some sort of intervention and preventative measure to allow them from escalating, but right through to penalties that are really severe so that they both deter and punish people that are deliberately using dogs to intimidate people and to frighten them. And at the moment, we don't have that approach covered within our current legislative framework. So that's what we really want to see. But then, of course, if you bring in different legislation, it's only as effective or it can only be effective if it's enforced appropriately. And I think that often is what's missing as well. So we need to really tackle about, you know, how would we ensure that any new legislation would be enforced? 
And the RSPCA for a long time has been a very strong advocate of dog licensing and not everyone agrees with this approach, but I think there is a real need to look at ways in which we can generate income and revenue that can actually then go back into services that benefit not only dog owners, but people in society that are affected by dogs too. So if we were able to generate a greater amount of revenue that could solely go towards dogs, we could, for example, start to you know, um, finance and invest in greater dog warden services, which would then would have an impact on exactly what you were talking about with dog fouling, more dog bins, more dog bin collections. There's a lot of things that we could do if we had a source of money that was very much dedicated to dogs. And I think we have to start getting back to that point where we really look at this as, is this a viable solution? If we had a new legislative framework, we had enforcement, we had a mechanism to pay for that enforcement, could that actually really start to tackle some of the problems that involve dogs in society? And we're hoping that the Responsible Dog Ownership Steering Group that DEFRA has established on the back of the research that was delivered by Middlesex University, that should stimulate some of these conversations because the whole purpose of that group and the Middlesex report was looking at how do we basically promote responsible dog ownership and tackle and reduce dog bite incidents. So hopefully we will see something come from that in a series of recommendations that will go through to the minister that will actually show both effective and sustainable dog control policies and the promotion of responsible dog ownership. Yeah, definitely. You see, I'm a great believer in the in the dog license. And I think you could do so much with the dog license to build like a community that you're proud to be involved with. We've got so many more dogs now living in, in this country all over the world. Probably dog ownership is at the biggest it's ever been since the dog was domesticated at the moment. So, you know, it is important to recognise them as a real important aspect of society and socioeconomics. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that we, well, I guess when we have these conversations as well, I think we, we also sort of need to remind ourselves, don't we, that the number of dogs that are involved in dog bite incidents or problematic behaviour is typically quite a small proportion of the overall dog population. And many, many dogs live harmoniously with people, with their families and bring a lot of joy to people and, you know, quite a lot of dogs also end up having a very, very, very good quality of life because of that as well. So I think, you know, we've always got to view it through that through that lens. But I think it also is important. And the question that we probably need to ask ourselves as well is that, you know, we are living with a dog for whom, like it or not, aggressive behaviour is a normal response for dogs. You know, it's like when we live with dogs, there is there is always going to be a small amount of risk just because of, of the, what they are. And I think, you know, again, we, ha- we have to understand that and we have to accept that because if what we are aiming for in society is a dog that never poses any risk to people, um, is never proved to be a nuisance, is never proved to be a pain or a distraction, then actually we're doing dogs a disservice because, you know, a lot of the behaviour that is problematic is normal for dogs. And so I think that we have to also build with all of the, into all of this a much better understanding of what dogs actually are so that we as a society are better understanding of dogs and as owners a better understanding as well and I think that's sometimes we see that you know certainly when people take dogs on as first-time owners they're often really surprised about what it is to have a dog in their life. 
Totally. I mean, I see it all the time, Sam, all the time. I mean, I keep saying, you know, you must remember your dog is not a little person. And thank heavens that they're not, you know. And that's why they are the dog. They are man's best friend. And they've helped us through centuries, you know, by bringing joy and companionship. And they are our stress busters. They make us smile every day. They help children gain confidence. They go into schools, help children with learning difficulties learn to read. They never judge us. They never answer us back. But, you know, they are a dog at the end of the day and in a in a park if one dog nicks another dog's stick that dog will say oi I think I want my stick back and if that other dog gives the stick back that's great but if it doesn't that dog's going to say do you know what mate I'm going to just like have a little go at you now because that was my stick Um, and in a way dogs also have such great sort of hierarchical system about themselves you know you look at a wolf pack it's the most ordered harmonious group of animals you could possibly imagine because everybody has their roles and that's also something I think dogs can teach us. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the thing. It's like you know, we have to we have to understand absolutely what you said that you know, dogs are dogs. They're not little people, and also as well, you know, I would certainly say that that they're not little wolves either. I think what we have to do is we have to understand that dogs are their own species. They have their own needs, their own preferences, and we have to understand that. And if we are to you know ensure that they are happy and have a good quality of life we've got to provide what is required for that as well and that does mean that you know as dog owners we all have that responsibility of understanding what makes our dogs happy and healthy and making sure that as well as that understanding we behave in those ways that allow them to be happy and healthy as well so it's a huge responsibility having a dog i think you know undoubtedly they bring us so much joy but you know, they can also, unfortunately, for some people bring around a lot of stress as well. And I think a lot of that can often come from just not necessarily understanding what it is to have a dog in their household, or if they're behaving in a particular way, why they're behaving in that way. You know, there's always something that is driving a behaviour, isn't there? And often we don't understand what that is. And that's why it's then also, I think, really important about going out and speaking to the specialists that are out there, so the vets and the behaviourists, the dog trainers, to help us understand when we have got problems that we might be finding difficult, but actually for the dog is often an indication that they're struggling as well. Yes, and it sort of goes back to the beginning where we were saying how messages and communication get lost in translation. Once people understand, dogs don't understand speech and language and really rely far more on body language and sounds to communicate with them and understanding what your dog is saying to you. So take a lesson in learning how to speak dog really is is the first thing before. I mean, I'd love it that there could be something like a driving test, Sam, attached to, you know, the dog license. So before you're given your dog license or driving license, you have to pass an exam of basic understanding on how to change gear, you know, the rules on a motorway, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might, I mean, for me, I think that would be great. I mean, I'm sure it's never going to happen, but I think that would help a lot. I think these are all things that, you know, really need to be considered at this moment in time when we are perhaps sort of at a point where, there are lots of questions being raised about how we promote responsible dog ownership and tackle dog bites. Um, I think you know what's really important um, and, and is certainly something that the RSPCA has stressed on a number of occasions is the need to look outside of the UK to see what works and what doesn't work. Because 
We do know that there are some examples of countries you know, in North America, for example, and across Europe, where they have managed to reduce the number of dog bites and they've been better able to uh, promote responsible dog ownership. And we see some really great examples of where, you know, it does look as though they're getting it right, that we've got happy dogs, we've also got happy dog owners, and importantly, we've got other people in society that, you know, are quite happy living amongst dogs. So I think that's certainly what, you know, what we're encouraging and through this steering group is that we are looking for exactly those sorts of things as you describe, you know, where countries have implemented pre-purchase or pre-acquisition tests, what impact does that have? Is, you know, does it actually look like it's working? Because I think if those if there is evidence that those things are effective, absolutely it's what we should be looking at in the UK at the moment. Wow, brilliant. So I mean look, there's an awful lot happening and it's just brilliant to be able to get the latest from you, Sam. And please can we have a chat, you know, early in the new year and see how everything's going, see if the, the you know the debates are happening in Parliament, what they're saying and just an update. That would be really good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be a real pleasure to come back home again, Lana. Thank you ever so much. No, thank you. That's our show, Mr Binks. What did you think? Yes, it is important that everybody really learns how to speak dog. So they know when you doggies are feeling stressed. What's that? Yes, you're right. It is time for Woof of the Week. We are living in stressful times. But it is so important not to transfer your stress to your dog. Instead, think of your dog as lightening your stress. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. Thanks again, of course, to Dr. Sam Gaines for joining us today. And all the links are in the show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike Hansen, my producer. Find out more about him and his company at Pod People UK. For me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe? Subscribe now. It's free, because that way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye for now.